after because we have so much good going on in our lives. But I uh, joy and laughter because we have so much good going on in our lives. But I, uh, for a moment, thunder because we have so much good going on in our lives. But I, uh, for a moment, thought, you know, I know Becky's going to do a joke. Maybe I ought to look online and see if I can find one of those dad jokes. And I did. And then God cautioned me. He said, do you really want to do this? you want to get into a competition with Becky with jokes? And I realized the error of my way, so I have no joke for you today. But, uh, you know, we, we, we have so much to be thankful for. God is at work. And as much as we see the things going on in the world around us, the Bible says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. That grace is transformational, and, and it's everything that we need. And uh, sometimes we, we don't realize what we need. We think we know what we need, but um, we misperceive what's the most important in our lives. And, and it's, it's kind of like time in our lives. Our, our time is limited, but we all get it in the same amounts, Right? What do we get time in? We, get, we all get 60 seconds to a minute. We all get 60 minutes to an hour. We all get 24 hours in a day. We all get seven days in a week, right? 52 weeks in a year. But how many years do we have? The only one that knows is God. The Bible tells us in Psalm 34, remind me that my days are numbered. Now, you know, sometimes people get anxious about the end of this part of life because this is not the end of life. When this life ends, there's a life that continues on, either with God or apart from God. Those are the only two options. And by the choices we make here, whether we choose Christ to be Lord and Savior of our life, we surrender our lives to Him, giving him the control to govern us, to guide us, to guard us, or whether we continue to take that on ourselves where we're, we're going to take care of ourselves. Look, I'm going to look out for number one. But I want you to know that God does a much better job. God has a much better plan. And with those, those years that we have, as a believer in Christ, the end of this life is the beginning of eternity in heaven. Can't get better than that. You guys, you're going to get there and you're going to be speechless. It's going to be like, oh, oh my gosh. But for those that haven't made Christ their Lord and Savior, they're going to be separated from God, which is separated from love, separated from peace and joy, separated from hope. And we don't want anybody to experience that, and neither does God. God desires no one to perish, but everyone to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and the means by which he planned for every person to know who Jesus is, is sitting right here, is at home, is across the world. We are his ambassadors. We are his witnesses. God invested in us his spirit to empower us and to impart to us gifts and fruit to be able to represent the kingdom of God that's unseen in a world that's broken and, and full of sin. And so we need to realize that, that time, as much as we get it all in the same seconds, minutes, hours, weeks, months, that we need to make the most of our years, which means we make the most of our weeks and the most of our days, and the most of our hours, and the most of our seconds. And it's, it's, it's important that we, we recognize what is the most important thing in our lives. And obviously, if we're in church and I say, what's the most important thing in your life? What's your answer going to be? Well, it should be Jesus. But it shouldn't just be here. It should be Jesus everywhere that he is the most important. When, when I was growing up, I did a lot of moving around. And uh, even when we, we moved up here, um, one of the things that when Debbie and I were preparing to move up here, we had a U-Haul van 
and we had a, a car. And we began to pack the van and pack the car. And guess what happened when we got the van packed and the car packed? There's stuff left over. And, and so we began to give to our neighbors and, and, you know, leave things for other people. But growing up as a kid, when we moved as often as we did, my mom and dad taught me something that stuck with me. And fortunately, it did when we went to move up here because they taught us when you pack, you can't take everything. So when you pack, you need to make sure that you put the most important things in first and the biggest things in your life first, what you don't want to live without, and then pack the other things around it. Because if you come to the end of the room that you have, or as in our lives, we come to the end of the time that we have, we don't want to be missing something that's very important. And as, as Becky shared this morning, where your treasure is, there's your heart. But we have so many things that are vying for our hearts, to be our treasure. And yet there's only one thing that can be the most important in our lives, the most valuable thing in our life. And, and if we miss the right choice, things are going to be off in our lives. We won't have the life God intended us to have. And so the most important, the most valuable is God. And that was, that was one of the things that Jesus was teaching his disciples when he was headed to the Mount of Olives to pray. He was headed to the place where his followers would see him arrested and beaten, see him crucified. And so he began to teach them things that were very, very, very important that they would need. And, and we've been looking at the first of these teachings in John chapter 15, which is about fruit. God said, Jesus said, this is so important. It, it brings great glory to your Father, your Heavenly Father. It proves that you're my true disciples. And it's what I called you and ordained you to produce. So... Obviously, those things are important to Jesus. They ought to be important to us. And we've been looking at this and, and learning about fruit, about being fruitful. And uh, that's what we're here for. We're here to produce fruit for the glory of God, for the affirmation that we're true followers of Christ, not just people that say, I'm a Christian, but they live as Christ would have them live. And it, it, it shows that we're doing what God had created us to do. So this morning, we're going to continue on, but we're going to get into a, another aspect of it a little deeper and then into seeing what this does. What does this do? Because there are three stages of this, and, and the first two stages of fruit bearing we've looked at, it's in verse 2, and it talks about how when we have no fruit to get fruit, we have to be lifted by God or disciplined. There's an adjustment. There's a realignment. Because when we come into the kingdom of God, we come in as a new creation. But even though we're a new creation, a new creature in Christ, there are some old things that hang on. We still continue to do some of the stuff we used to do that is absolutely fruit-killing. It robs fruit from our lives. And that's sin, active sin in our life. And so this first aspect... God reveals where there's sin, and we engage with God to remove that sin because we, if we don't do that, that will stop fruit in an area of our life. The second stage or, or phase of fruit bearing we looked at is pruning. God, again, he reveals what needs to be cut off or cut away, and, and this is not just the revealing, but the removing of self, where we rely on ourselves, where we're guided by ourselves. Because if I'm relying on me and I'm guided by me, I won't rely on God and I can't be guided by God. And how many of you know my ways are different than God's ways? And your ways are different than God's ways. And what does the Bible say about God's ways? They're higher, they're also better. Every good and perfect gift comes from who? Aunt Martha. No, comes from God. God's the only one that gets it right all the time. 
God's the only one that doesn't do anything wrong. God is the only one that knows the best and does the best without exception, consistently. And so anything we, we choose to rely on or we choose to be guided by that's other than God, it's not going to work out the way God intended. We're, we're going to be robbed from the very things Jesus died to give us, which is abundant life. And who's behind? Who's the one that steals, kills, and destroys? The enemy. And that's exactly what sin does. It robs us. So these two first stages are opening up areas. How many of you know you can't fill something until you empty it? I know that's, that's just heavy revy. Right? That's what you came for, revelation. But you can't fill something until you empty it. Until it's emptied, it can't be filled. And in our lives, the areas that we haven't emptied ourselves of ourselves, Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciples, you need to deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. The first thing he said was, put yourself aside so I can get in place where I need to be. And so we have to empty the sin in our lives. That sin needs to come to an end. We need to put off the old man. And put on the new man that's renewed in righteousness and true holiness. Then, not just the sin, but the things that are dividing our attention and our allegiance and our commitments and focus to God. Because if it's not God, it's not the best. And then we go to the third stage that we see here. This is where we start to really, really see God kick in. The first parts are removing, making room for God. This third part, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, maximum production, abundant, overflowing life. This is where it happens in abiding. And what did we find out? Abiding is. It's a connection. It's a constant communion, connection, Giving ourselves and receiving, as we give ourselves to God, receiving what God can give to us. Until we lay down our lives, we can't receive the life that God has for us. And so we've been looking at this and the importance of abiding and, and how abiding is uh, the way that the optimum fruit production happens. It's the optimum of life for us as Christians. And so we, we have to come to that place of, of relying on and trusting in not ourselves, not in what looks good or sounds good or what everybody else tells us, but in our Savior. And so as we abide, there are three, three aspects to abiding. Um, and the first one in John chapter, chapter uh, 15, verse 5, we abide in Him and He abides in us. We give ourselves completely to Him, and that's a lifelong pursuit. We're always giving over our life to God, areas of our life that we've held back and don't even know it. And then God is able to fill us in that area with his life. And then the second aspect is in verse 7, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you'll ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. What an amazing life that is. When we can go to God and ask whatever it is we desire. But understand this, because we're abiding in him, we're making room for him and letting him fill our lives. And then now we're abiding in him and his word is filling us. If we love him, we are going to want to fulfill his word. And, and we'll see this in the next couple of verses. But he said, if you love me, you keep my commands. So we would never ask anything that's contrary to what God's will is. And if we ask God according to his will, it'll be given to us. You won't have any unanswered prayers as long as we allow the word of God to abide in us and the spirit of God to abide in us. And then it goes to the, the third aspect that we began looking at last week in John chapter 15, verse 9 and 10. He says, as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This morning, we're going to look at this and a little more into love and, and what does abiding produce? I mean, we, we've understood that when we abide in God, we can ask whatever we will and it'll be done. When we abide in God, there, there makes room for the overflowing life. But what does that look like in the life we live in in this earth right now? Because this earth is broken and it's getting more desperate and more dangerous than ever before. But 
in the midst of that, you don't have to fear. As a Christian, God does not want fear to be a part of your life. But one of the things that he said, his word says, is perfect love casts out all fear. When you know that you are loved unconditionally, continuously, without hesitation or reservation, and you open up your life to God, he's able to care for you, to provide for you, to strengthen you, to protect you in the midst of whatever is going on around you. And we'll see this in the psalm that we're going to look at today. But before we do, let's pray. If you just bow your heads. Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Lord, we know there's no place we can go. Whether we're here in this building or we're at home watching, you're there. And you care. And you have shown your desire and willingness to sacrifice even your son to make abundant life available to us. So, Father, there's no reservation on your side, but sometimes there's hesitation on our side. Help us to recognize where we need to trust you. We need to connect with you. We need to empty our lives of the things we once depended on and trusted in beside you so that you can have your way in us and through us that the blessing that you have coming to us can be given to all those around us also. So Father, speak to our hearts today. We thank you for your word that goes forth, that becomes revelation through the work of Holy Spirit that causes transformation as we apply it. Your word that is life and health that brings healing today to all who receive it and hear it, that there would be a new wholeness and health and strength in us because of your word. Your word that that brings freedom, which is truth, and it sets us free. Father, we thank you for every one of us experiencing more freedom in our lives today because your word is received. But, Father, we don't use that freedom for our own pursuits, but as your word says, to serve you because there is nothing, nothing more important in our lives than knowing you loving you, serving you, and making you known. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So in John chapter 15, verse 9 and 10, as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. That is a, an amazing thing. Did the Father ever not love Jesus? How did he love Jesus? Halfway? three-quarters of the way, or absolutely, completely unabandoned. Yeah, absolutely, completely unabandoned. And that's how Jesus loves us, and we need to, to abide in this love. We need to live in this love. We need to be, make our home in this love and let this love make its home in us because we are here in this time fastly approaching the return of the Lord, and we're here to show the world who he is, what he's really like. Because many times when people see Christians, they don't see necessarily Christ-like character. And that is one of the things that God is looking to change in the body of Christ in these days. So we, we abide in his love. Now in verse 11 and 12, it says this, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. This is why. These, these things that he's spoken, he's taught, he's encouraged, he has deposited in his disciples is because he wanted his joy to remain in them. What does the joy of the Lord do for us? It strengthens us. Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It strengthens us. And there is not a one of us that doesn't need strength every day and usually more than we have. And so the way that happens is we align ourselves we continue to give ourselves to doing what Jesus said, allowing God 
to re- reveal and us to remove sin in our lives, to, to lift us and to discipline us, to allow God to prune, remove the self-reliance and self-provision in our lives so that that makes room for God who is love because that love never fails. The Bible tells us that love never fails, but his joy would remain in us and our joy would be full because when people see people that are joyful, are they attracted to them or repelled by them? Right. And we should be the most joy-filled people in the world. There is nothing that should rob our joy, rob our hope, because our trust is in God. And then he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So this is how, how God has for us to live. We're to love God, love others, love our enemies, Because that love never fails, and it's a command. But how do we know? How do we know if we're abiding in the love of God? How do we know if the love of God is abiding in us? What does it look like? And and a few weeks ago, I had somebody come up to me after a a service, and and this person said, I know where you're going. And I thought, you know where I'm going? You following me? No, I know where you're going in the Scriptures. I know where you're going. And I said, that's awesome. Why don't you tell me, because I don't always know where I'm going. I I will tell you, honestly, I sit with God before God, and I ask him, what do you want done? And I will tell you that I have learned over the years, because I have done it two different ways. One way, I've done it where I thought I knew best, and I would do what I was going to do, because I had a great message. And it never turned out great. And, and through trial and error, and I, I, I am embarrassed to say that, that it was trial and error. I, didn't, I, I knew that God always knew best, but I thought I knew best just in that set, set, setting. And now I've come to the place where the, I, this is not mine. I'm not mine. And you may say, well, why do we why do, we do what we do? I, I will tell you this. To the best of my ability, I'm trying to do what I believe God has for me to do. And whether I like it or not, whether you like it or not, the one that I want pleased above and before anyone else is God. So we do what we do because we want to do what God has. And, and that's, that's, that's really our life. We were created, the Bible says, for his pleasure. The moment I try and fulfill my own pleasure, I begin to lose the things that God is freely and fully and desiring me to experience. So how do we know? How do we know if we're abiding in this love? This, this person said, I know where you're going. And when I said, I, I don't know, tell me where I'm going. She said, you're going to Galatians, chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. And I said, you know what? That would be an obvious place to go, and I don't know if we're going to get there, but if that's where God has for us to go, we're going to go there. And that's what I was understanding we were supposed to go to today. And you may say, well, I know all about that. And that's great, and I'm, I am thrilled that you know all about it, but it's not about knowing. Information is different than transformation. It's when the truth of God's Word is applied to our lives, that's when transformation occurs. That's when we go from glory to glory. You know, the Bible tells us in these days that the glory of the Lord is going to fill the earth just like the waters cover the sea. And for a long time, I used to think, well, God's going to have this glory cloud just roll out of heaven and just envelop the earth, and the earth is going to be filled with the glory of the Lord. And I've come to understand that that's not the way God does it, because God has people, you and me, the body of Christ, to reveal His glory. But how does He do it? The Scriptures tell us that the way the glory of the Lord is revealed is Christ in us. The more we become Christ-like, the more we lay aside the things that we've learned of this world and things that we've relied on, and the more we embrace Christ and allow him to have his way and we exhibit his character and, and his love and his joy and his peace, all these things, that's where glory comes from. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if I have Christ in me and I'm at this stage of glory, God said he would take us from glory to glory, right? If I'm going to get to this level of glory, what does it require? 
more Christ in me. I allow Christ to have more of his way in me than ever before. So just like John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. But it's not us losing who we are. The reality is we're becoming who God created us to be. Fully fulfilling what God created us for and to be. And so, so it's, it's us giving place to God. And this, this giving place to God, when we abide in God's love and God's love abides in us, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 25, it says this. But the fruit of the Spirit, we're talking about fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And, and it's revealed, it's experienced by us and others as joy, peace, long-suffering patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It says, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh. That's exactly what was going on in the second stage where there was pruning. It's, it's cutting off of the flesh. The fleshy things of our lives that we've relied on and we've followed and we've continued to empower in our lives. This says those that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. See, that's where we need to abide and Him abide in us. Let the Spirit of God abide in us and, and be directed by the Spirit of God. Be led by the Spirit of God. The Bible says when we're led by the Spirit of God, we don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. But the moment we sow to the flesh, we reap destruction. But the fruit of the Spirit is, and this is what love manifests itself as, joy and peace. How much joy and peace do we have? See, when, when, when we abide in the love of God, that perfect love casts out all fear. There is a confidence that comes when we know we're loved. When you know you're loved by somebody who absolutely wants the best for you and can do the best for you, there are no limitations to their resources or their abilities. Why would fear ever overwhelm us? It's because we, we don't allow the love of God to fill us and flood us. But it goes on to say patience and kindness and goodness, which is, is generosity and faithfulness and gentleness, which is humility and self-control. Now, when I say those things, how much of that do we see in our society at large? We don't. We don't see a lot of this in any consistent way to any great degree. But the sad thing is, we don't see a lot of this in the church. And this is where Jesus is coming back for a church, for you and me, without spot or wrinkle, a glorious church, a glorious church. What, what Christ in us is the hope of glory. When these characteristics become more dominant in us, we're being prepared for the return of the Lord. We're being prepared to be the bride of Christ without spot or wrinkle a glorious, victorious church, but it's a partnership. Just like the first two stages of fruitfulness, God initiates, we participate in abiding the third, third stage. We initiate, God participates. God will not push us to go anywhere other than where we choose to go. He won't make us walk in love. He won't make us receive joy. We have to make room for it, and the way we do is we make room for God. And as we do, God's able to fill and flood us and show us as that unique, peculiar people that we experience some of the same battles and challenges and, and struggles, and yet we don't go through them the same way. We go through them with a confidence, with a hope, a confident expectation of good, with a joy with a generosity, just like the Bible tells us in Acts, there were people that in their desperate poverty gave to benefit somebody else. That's the characteristic of Christ. We don't have to hold on to anything. As long as we're holding, abiding, holding on to God with everything, God can flood our lives with everything we need in abundance to be able to overflow 
into the lives around us. And so this is, this is common, but the question is, is it active in our lives? Are we experiencing the joy, the peace, the patience, or are we... One of the things that we have learned in the world and we've become masterful at is presenting a facade. It's kind of, we, we want people to see us in a certain way, and so we've, we've learned how to manage what we do. But who we are alone, who we are under real challenging times, that shows. And, and if we're not patient, if we're not kind, if we're not humble, you know, we, we, we ask each other at times, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. And, and we know we're not, but we're afraid to let somebody else know what's going on. But that humility, it's not that we go around complaining, but we go around in humility and honesty, and we have wisdom in who we share with and who we don't. But then we can gather to each other and hold up each other's arm and strengthen each other and love one another and care for one another and then show the character and kingdom of Christ and the love of God abiding in us. You know, when we, when we abide in love, this, this abiding in God causes this friendship to begin to deepen and, and increase in our lives with God. And uh, Henry Drummond said something. He said, faults are thick where love is thin. He said, you'll find as you look back upon your life that the moments when you really lived are the moments that you have done things in the spirit of love. It's not about the years in our life. It's about the life in our years. And the only way we're going to have life in the years is to have God, who is love, filling our lives. We're abiding in that love. Another place that, that we can look at and say, is, are these characteristics that are part of my life are 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 8, it says this, love endures long and is patient and kind. And I'm just going to ask you to do something. If you just close your eyes, and I'm asking you to do this for a reason, whether you're here in the sanctuary or you're at home, just close your eyes because I won't, don't want you to think about or be distracted by anything. In this moment, this is an introspective moment. It's what the psalmist says throughout various psalms. He says, Selah. Pause and reflect. Consider. And so as I read these things, I'm asking you to consider, are these characteristics that are embodied in your life? Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. It is not boastful or vainglorious does not display itself haughtily, it is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It's not rude, unmannerly, and doesn't act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it's not self-seeking, it's not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice in injustice and unrighteousness, but it rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It's ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances. It endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. Now, with your eyes still closed, as you heard those things, as I read them, I'm taking an inventory of my life and I'm saying, is this, is this true of me? Because if I really am a Christ follower, 
if, if I really am abiding in God's love, these are the characteristics that people would encounter with me no matter what the circumstance or situation. And if it's not, then we have to recognize and we have to come clean and humbly say, God, I'm not where you have for me to be, but you've not left me to myself. The Bible tells us God is at work in us to will and to do his good pleasure. But the only place he can work is where we allow him. So right now, with your eyes closed, Father, I pray that I would recognize the areas that I'm resistant to your work in. That I'm still allowing myself or sin to abide. Father, help me. Help us. Have the courage to turn away from the sin that has been active in our lives. Turn away from the relying on and trusting in our own guidance, our own wisdom, our own ways. So that, Father, you, who are love, can fill and flood our lives. Your spirit can fill and flood our lives. Your word will fill our lives. Your word will dwell richly in us. And as we hide your word in our heart, we won't sin against you. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you for this. You can look up. But with all of this, with all of this, what does it look like? What, what impact does abiding have in us? having the Spirit of God abide in us, the Word of God abide in us, the love of God abide in us. Well, one of the best-known psalms, the, the most well-known psalm is Psalm 23, but the second behind it is Psalm 91. And we're going to just start to look at that this morning, but we're going to go through this in the upcoming weeks. But in Psalm 91, this is where, um, where we learn what, what needs to be happening. Um, in verse 1 through 2, it says this, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God and Him will I trust. So the, the opening of this psalm, the psalmist says there's an option. We can do this or we can choose not to. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, when it says dwells, that word dwells is a specific word. It's actually the word that means to abide, to sit down, to remain, to continue to be present. So he's talking about abiding. He who dwells or abides in the secret place of who? Most high. There's no one higher. And this is a secret place. And why, 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 does it, why is it called the secret place? Is God playing hide and seek with us? Does God play games with us? What does God want for us? The best, right. And he's not playing games, all right? But we have to choose to seek him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. What is your treasure? And, and as we see, we need to make sure that God is the absolute most valuable, most important, biggest treasure in our lives. But he who dwells in the secret place, what is a secret? Something that you don't share, but how, isn't a secret something that not everybody knows? Yeah. And, and the secret place, it's not because God's hiding anything from anybody, but they don't know it because they don't want it. It's, it's, it's unknown to them. Because they're pursuing all sorts of other things that they think they're going to get the fulfillment out of. But this secret place, another reason why it's called the secret place is because there are only two that know whether you're there. God and you. And again, we can put on some fantastic facades 
where people think we are just real tight with God. But back behind the scenes, we're doing it for show. Then it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, when it says this, when we think about abiding under the shadow, that doesn't mean much to us. But remember who these people are. These are people that when you talk about shadows, their reference point. But what is a shadow to you? What, 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 what does it do? Right. And that's what this word actually means. It means to cover. Not as a lid, but as a protection. And when Israel was, they would mention a shadow. Israel could remember their reference point was when God took them through the wilderness. How did God manifest his presence with Israel? A pillar of fire by night, right? And, and why did he manifest himself that way? Number one, light. Gave them light in a very dark place. If you've ever been to, to a desert or a wilderness, when we, Debbie and I moved to California, we went to some wilderness. And one of the things about the wilderness is it's very dark. And so... God gave them light in a very dark place. But also what he did was he gave them heat, which provided for their comfort. And then in the daytime, what did he manifest himself as? A cloud, which cast a shadow, which was a protection for them and a provision for them in a very harsh environment. One of the two things you look for when you're in the desert or in the wilderness, or in a, you look for water, and you look for shade. And, and when we talk about shadows, if a shadow is going to fall on you, somebody's shadow is going to fall on you, how close do you have to be? Close. And if you're going to stay under that shadow, you stay close. We need to stay close to God at all times. We need what he is able to impart to us and, and provide for us, because without him, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Life, the life. It goes on to say, I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. He is our refuge. When, when we talk about refuge, what comes to mind? If something's a refuge, a safe place, right. If we talk about an animal refuge, what's it mean that the animals can do? If they're out being hunted and they run into a refuge, what happens? Yeah, they can't hunt them anymore. And so they're safe. They just got to get there. God is a refuge we need to choose to go towards, not away from. Because that's where the safety is. You know, sometimes people think, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to do everything God tells me because then, you know, I'm not going to have a good time. That's a lie. You're going to have the best life you can possibly have. Because a lot of the stuff that we pursue, that we think are, are so important to our lives, are not going to be in heaven. And if you think about that, as we make our choices, if that's not necessarily going to be there, we need to think twice. Do we need to continue to pursue him? But he is my refuge, my safe place, my protection from danger, a sanctuary. When you're in a sanctuary, how nervous are you? Now, I'm not talking about this sanctuary. You, you should be able to absolutely rest. Just release all the cares, all the concerns. It's a place to decompress, to, to cast off all the stuff that has been loaded on you in your day in the world, or wherever you are, or what's going on. These people knew about the cities of refuge, that people could run to them and be safe. And then it says, and my fortress, my fortress. What is a fortress? What's, what's another name for a fortress? A stronghold? In, in Europe, in the medieval times, when they had fortresses, what did they look like? Exactly, castles. And, and so they were strong. 
They were places that were known to be able to be resistant to the enemy's penetration. God is your fortress. The Bible says in Colossians that your life is hid with Christ in God. That's why the enemy can't touch us if we abide in him. The moment we step out and we start doing our own thing our own way, then we're free game. Just like somebody stepping out of a fortress or out of a sanctuary. That's why we can't afford not to abide in God because the moment we begin to go another direction, rely on another source, do something else other than God, this is not restrictive, this is releasing. Yes, we do have to say no to some things, but those things are damaging to our lives. And yes, to other things, but those things are life-giving to us. And just as children, how many of you know children don't always make the best decisions? They make decisions based on their limited knowledge, right, and what they want and what they think they'll get. And we as kids do the same thing. We're God's kids. And many times we make our decisions on limited knowledge and not always correct knowledge and on desires that we think are going to be fulfilled in a wonderful way, but not always are. But every time we give ourselves to God, Every good and perfect gift comes from him. God is the only one that every one of us have ever come into relationship and friendship with that will always do the best for us. Always do the best without fail. And that alone ought to cause us to want to just cling to God and let God have his way in us. Because we really, when it all comes down to it, what we want more than anything else is we want the best. And God and God alone has the best for every one of us. I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed. God doesn't want to just make a deposit or a difference in our lives on Sunday. That's why God in his infinite sacrifice of his son and his son's proclamation he said i'm not going to leave you alone i'm not going to leave you orphaned i'm going to send another one to you just like me that god said i'm going to give my son that you can have abundant life and the way it's going to come is my spirit's going to dwell in you but you have to choose to let him dwell there and you have to choose to reference him and rely on him and, and resource him. Make him your first turn. And you have my word. Choose to hide it in your heart. Choose to meditate on it. Choose to memorize it. So that you'll not be without the sword of the Spirit, the word of life, the word which is truth. And you'll not be without my love. I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with loving kindness. My love is available to flood your entire being. Because Holy Spirit sheds abroad in your heart, my love, but I won't force it on you. But when you allow my love to abide in you, it removes every bit of fear because that perfect love casts out all fear. And it produces a peace and a rest and a confidence in me because if I am with you as your God and I am for you, as your heavenly father, there is nothing that can stand against you. But God doesn't force it on any of us. As much of those characteristics as we have is what we've chosen 
to receive and make room for. And if we find ourselves lacking or deficient or desiring more, then we need to make room. God won't force it, and he won't put it somewhere where something else is being chosen over or before him. So this morning, if you're here and you have never chosen to entrust your life to Christ, today I want to encourage you to give your life over to Christ so that you can receive the life that Christ died to give you. That's the way it starts. God does not desire anyone to perish, but everyone to have everlasting life. And we have everlasting life through repenting, turning away from sin, running our own lives, and releasing our life, and receiving Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, guiding and governing and guarding our life. Now he's in charge. And if you've never done that, I want to pray with you this morning. And I'm not going to embarrass you or out you or anything. We're all going to pray together. But I'm going to ask you to, to join us in this prayer of repenting of your sin, of turning away from sin and turning away from yourself, just running your life and turning to Christ to receive forgiveness and then for him to be Lord, really be Lord. So let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son Jesus who came into this world, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and was raised from the dead He's seated now at the right hand of the Father, glorious and victorious. Today, Lord Jesus, I come to you and I repent of my sin. I receive your forgiveness and I receive you as Lord of my life. Guide me, govern me, guard me. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer today and, and, and 